Well, it's my joy and privilege and honor to welcome you to Graceway Baptist Church. And uh, this is our midweek season. We're going through the Psalms. So take a Bible and turn to Psalms 46. Psalm 46. We don't really know the background uh, of this psalm. Some scholars believe that it was written after a great victory, and there are several of those in the book of First and Second Kings, and it may well be uh, written after one of those. But this is a psalm that really gives glory to the Lord. And uh, we talk about a mighty fortress is our God. I love that song, don't you? And uh, it was written by Martin Luther, the reformer. And I've got a story here that I'm going to read a little longer than what I normally do, but um, kind of helps us with this. Martin Luther is one of the key figures in church history, a man mightily used by God to bring reformation to the church. The year 1527 was the most difficult of his life. After 10 demanding years of leading the reformation, a dizzy spell overcame him in the middle of a sermon on April 22nd of that year, forcing him to stop preaching. I can identify with that, can't I? Luther feared for his life. On July 6th, while eating dinner with friends, he felt an acute buzzing in his ear and lay down, again convinced that he was at the end of his life. You know, you have to remember some of the things we look at is just little, no big deal diseases were life-threatening back in 1527. I'll continue reading. He partially regained his strength, but a debilitating discouragement set in as a result. <clears throat> in addition, heart problems and severe intestinal complications escalated the pangs of death. <clears throat> of this ordeal, Luther wrote, I spent more than a week in death and hell, my entire body in pain, and I still tremble, completely abandoned by Christ. I labored under the vacillation, vacillations and storms of desperation and blasphemy against God. Um, isn't it refreshing to read somebody who's honest? Had Christ actually forsaken him? No, but that's the way he felt. And everything that about him felt hellish. And the way he reacted, he said, was not in faith pleasing to God, but it was more blasphemy um, against God. I like that. Even believers have those times, don't we? But he acknowledges it. And even in his writing, he confesses it. Well, let me continue reading. What was worse, the dreaded Black Plague, you've heard about that, had entered Germany and spread into Wittenberg. Many people fled, fearing for their lives. Yet Luther and his wife Katie remained, believing that it was their duty to care for the sick and the dying. Although Katie was pregnant with their second child, Luther's house was transformed into a hospital where he watched many friends die. Then without warning, Luther's one-year-old son, his firstborn, Hans, became desperately ill. With death surrounding him on every side, 
Luther was driven to seek refuge in God as never before. And Psalm 46 became the strength of his soul. As a result, Luther expanded on its truths and wrote the hymn which is most, for which he is most famous, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's majestic and thunderous proclamation of God who is our all-sufficient refuge in our weakest moments has become the enduring symbol of the Reformation. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them, to him abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. So Luther was impacted by this psalm in a tremendous way. No, it didn't spark the Reformation. The Reformation had already been going on 10 years. But it sustained and blessed a man of God used mightily by God. It sustained him and it enabled him to keep on going. One of the things that a lot of people don't realize about the so-called great men of God is that they suffer greatly. They all have those times when they let down. They all have those times. I know you wouldn't think it by the way that they preach and the way that they are when you meet them. But if you've ever known any of them privately, they have their times when they question things. They have times when they fail to live up to their own preaching. They have times when they falter, times when they fall, times when they doubt. And Luther was no different. Luther was just a human, like all of us are. He had his ups and he had his downs. And after 10 years of the Reformation, some of that he was running for his life and facing constant criticism and constant berating and those kind of things, uh, it wore on him. It wore on him. And so uh, what did he do? He turned to the Word of God. Far too many people are looking for a light. They're looking for a sound. They're looking for some mystical feeling or something like that. And you know, the devil who is the counterfeiter of God, is more than willing to supply those kind of things that you're looking for. Let me encourage you, don't look for those kind of things. Look in the Word of God and do what Martin Luther did. Find the Scripture and let the Scripture speak to you. That's how God speaks. And so, uh, thinking about all of that, before we read the text, some see God as a storm shelter. Not entirely bad, because he certainly can be. We think about the times when maybe we've gone into a storm shelter when um, David Payne, or I started to say Gary England, but I date myself. Uh, you know, one of those kind of people tell you, you know, you need to go to your shelter now. Well, maybe you go, maybe you don't. I'm the last person in the shelter. Uh, I like to know what's going on. And so... Uh, I watch the TV and I look outside and I walk around outside 
And I suppose if I saw the thing, you know, coming, uh, before it got too close, I'd be in the shelter too. But I kind of like to, kind of like to watch. And um, contrary to some of the movies you may have seen, you don't want to wait too long because uh, you may avoid the tornado, but man, those bricks and two befores and cars and things that are being thrown around in the debris field, you know, they may not miss. And so I want to be in the shelter. Some see God as a storm shelter. Well, preacher, what's the problem with that? Um, here's the problem I see with that. I have to run to the shelter. And what if I am caught in a storm and a tornado forms and it was unexpected, it's close to me and I need to get in a shelter, but my shelter is two miles away and the tornado is half a mile away coming my direction. I'm in trouble, aren't I? And when I think about that and think about God as being, well, he's available, but he's distant. He's available, but he's way over there and I'm over here. That's not the picture that we find in this psalm. I'll show you that in just a little bit. Uh, but if that's your picture of God, you probably need to change it. Some people see God as a rescuing army. Here I am on the battlefield, maybe in World War II, and uh, I've been wounded and all of, my, um, all of my companions are gone. I'm alone. And I've radioed for help, and uh, yet I'm trapped. If I uh, try to move, there's a machine gun nest that's going to be firing upon me, and I don't have anywhere I can go. And man, I am just pleading for reinforcements and pleading for rescue to come in. I need treatment. I need help. I need to get out of there. Okay? That'd make a good movie, wouldn't it? And uh, a good book or whatever. And let's say that... Uh, just about the time that my canteen runs out, just about the time that I have a pistol with me, I'm down to my last bullet. What, what good is it going to do? And I'm hurting and I'm afraid and I'm exposed and I'm vulnerable. What in the world am I going to do? And just about that time, here comes the tanks from my army. Here comes aircraft from my army. Here comes infantry and medics from my army and they come just in time and they wipe out the machine gun nest and then they treat me and they get me in and take me to treatment. Maybe I should have used the Korean War so we could use helicopters. Here comes a helicopter at just the right moment or Vietnam and uh, they fire missiles into the machine gun nest and then they land and they come and they get me and then fly me out. Is that the way you see God? You know, there are so many songs that make it sound like God was sitting somewhere else drinking lemonade and uh, playing checkers with somebody. And all of a sudden he heard a cry for help and he had to get up and leave all of that and come running to where I am. Is that how you view God? Like a superhero who has to be summoned? Remember that thing they used to put up in the sky for Batman, for him to come? And I remember a cartoon I liked, Underdog. You remember that? And Polly Purebred would just go, help! help, help. And underdog would hear it with a super sensitive hearing. And then he would take off and fly and head over to where she was to rescue her. Is that your view of God? A God who is distant, a God who is way away, a God who is summoning all the strength he has to come and hopefully make it on time in order to rescue you. Well, the Bible does say he rescues us. 
And the Bible does say he is our helper in time of need. But that's not the real picture of God. Not for you as a child of God. Um, attached to this thing, this is a battery pack and it's also, it transmits information. These people that are monitoring this, I saw a report one time, they know how long I sit, how long I lay down to sleep. They know when I'm reclining. They know when I'm walking. They keep track of how many steps I walk and movement and all of that kind of thing. They're like, sheesh, that's like Big Brother, isn't it? Mark of the Beast right here. Um, this thing, though, is attached to this vest that I wear. I've got it on now. I've got an electrode here and here and here and several in my back. Is it comfortable? No, but you, you know, you kind of get used to it. But, uh, you know, I've noticed when it gets hot, everywhere those uh, electrodes are touching my skin, it kind of itches uh, just a little bit. And then when I sit back like that, I can feel those things pushing in my back. Now, I've been wearing it long enough now since March that uh, unless I actually think about it, or sometimes when you sit a certain way on a certain type of seat, it may put pressure and it's uncomfortable. But other than that, I really don't think about it all that much anymore. If all I had to do was wear the vest, I'd be, I'd be pretty okay with that. Uh, this thing just gets on my last nerve. And, uh, you know, trying to get dressed with this box and a wire hooked up to that vest, a wire's always in the way, or you step one direction and the box falls off of the dresser where you put it, and just stuff like that. I have to sleep with it, eat with it, uh, you know, everything like that. The only time I can take it off is, you know, when I'm in the shower because it's not waterproof. <clears throat> and so I, I take some long showers sometimes. It's, you know, just to be out of that thing. And uh, what it is for, it, it is a defibrillator, however you say that word. And if my heart acts up or stops, it will shock it back on. It'll probably knock me out, they said, but it'll shock my heart back on. And they told me that I have to wear this because I asked them last time I was with her, when am I going to get out of this? Well, my heart is too weak to be trusted right now. And uh, even though I feel better and maybe sound better and all of that, I'm not uh, in real good shape yet. My heart is still too weak to pump all of the fluid as it needs to, and it could give out, apparently. And so um, I have to wear this thing because I never know when, as the doctor said, a fatal cardiac event. And I don't like those words. A fatal cardiac event could, could, could happen. So what is this vest for? It's, they call it a life vest. And it's kind of like a life preserver that you wear when you go swimming. It's always there, and it's always, hopefully, doing its job. At the same time, um, I'm kind of in a dilemma. This is sort of like insurance, I guess. Um, I hope I don't ever need it. But at the same time, if I go through life not needing it, I'm going to be ticked off I had to pay for it. Um, you know, that kind of thing, back and forth. But it's always with me. And it's always there to do its job. Has a little monitor on it. It's off right now. But 
Um, it'll tell me whether it's working and working right. Have to change the batteries every day and charge up the old battery and, you know, all of that kind of stuff to go on. But this is with me everywhere I go. When I'm on a treadmill trying to build up my strength, this thing is there. If something were to happen, this thing would go out and zap me, but keep my heart beating. Um, if I'm out on a walk in my neighborhood and something happens, this thing is always with me. I don't have to wait for it to show up. I don't have to run to it. It is always here. And I think that is a little better way. No illustration about God is going to satisfy everything and make it all complete. But that's a little better way to look at the Lord. He is always with us wherever we are. And what kind of blesses me and bothers me at the same time is the omnipresence of God. See, that means God is always with me. Praise God for that. Hallelujah. And he's, when, he's there with me when I'm witnessing. He's there with me when I'm singing and praying, when I'm counseling. Uh, whatever it is I may be doing, God is with me. Boy, that's good news. It also means he's with me whenever I'm sinning in a way that would embarrass me to death if I thought anyone knew or anyone was watching. Well, God is not only watching, he was there. Paul put it this way to the Corinthians, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Don't you know that? Therefore, when you join your physical body to a prostitute, sexual relations, listen to this, you are joining Christ to the prostitute. That's how much God loves you, and that's how much he keeps his promise never to leave you. And so that's why I say it blesses me, and it also burdens me. Well, we need to get into our text. Psalm 46, 1 through 3, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Verse 3, Though its waters roar and are troubled, though the mountains shake with swelling. Then he says, Selah. Just stop, take a break, and think about that. Well, that's what we're going to do. Number one, I want you to notice the strength of your life. The strength of your life is not who's in the White House. The strength of your life is not how many conservatives or liberals are on the Supreme Court. The strength of your life is not how well the stock market is doing. Yesterday wasn't a good day, was it? The strength of your life is not how you feel. The strength of your life is not what you know. The strength of your life is not what other people say about you. And we could go on and on with that. The Bible says... God is our refuge and strength. God is. So if we're doing anything in our own strength, it is destined for failure. Whatever is born of flesh, Jesus said, flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit, Spirit. And so we want everything to be born or wrought or initiated or birthed and certainly empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Everything, everything. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 18, we're not to be drunk with wine, but we are to be 
continually filled. Continually filled. Be ye always being filled is a good way to translate that with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit has little or nothing to do with tongues or ecstatic utterances or anything like that. Basically, the idea is to be filled, is to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Say a cop pulls over somebody and uh, he goes in there, notice their eyes are a little red, notice that their speech is a little slurred. And so he has them maybe submit to a breathalyzer if they agree or take a field sobriety test. And he determines that they are driving under the influence of alcohol. That's what Paul is talking about here. Just as you can drink wine and be under the influence of wine, which, by the way, is a sin to be under the influence of anything other than Jesus, and uh, you, in the same way, are to be filled or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit uh, is influencing me, that means he's controlling me, just like alcohol will change the way I think, the way that I act, the way that uh, I react to things. So the Holy Spirit does that in our life as well. And the Holy Spirit is not just a part of God. He is God. And the Holy Spirit is not just one third of God. He is totally God. He's not God third string. Somebody called him the forgotten member of the Trinity. Well, that's not true. This is God living within you. And you have his presence and you also have his power because God is our refuge. He's the place, that, the one that shelters us when we're going through the storms of life. But he is also our strength. How do I endure these storms? How do I endure these battles? My strength is fleeting. My strength will fail. The old hymn says, the arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. But God has an unlimited, inexhaustible source of uh, power and strength. And he walks with us. And the secret is that as we go through life, we surrender and he supplies whatever we need to do his will. If it's his will, you've got the power to do it. Well, I can't do that. I know you can't. That's a good thing to admit. I can't. But you've got to go further than that and say, but he can. I can't, but he can. And whatever it is that we need to do his will is supplied because he does it through us. It's really not so much us doing it for him but he does it through us. And his power is always sufficient. He never has to worry about bringing more. He never has to worry about, did I get enough? Or is this going to be sufficient? Listen, it's from God. It is indeed sufficient. And um, the pressures of everyday life, God's power is sufficient. And by that, I mean just the common everyday things. You know, traffic is snarled up. Is God sufficient for that to keep you from getting out of sorts? Yeah, he sure is. But on that same day that you handled the rush hour traffic, you might get a phone call saying that your son or daughter has been killed. Is God sufficient for that? He most certainly is. 
I didn't say it was going to be easy. I didn't say it wouldn't affect your humanity. Of course it will. People say to believers all the time, how did you make it? How do you handle it? And that's not the time to give them our five-step program. That's the time to start with telling them that my God is with me and God gives me the strength. And here's how I access that strength. And then you can give them some practical uh, help with all of that. Think about the attacks and the destruction that comes your way as people attack you, as enemies of God attack you. And as we know, the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, demons. We got to have the armor on and we got to go and we got to expect, we have to expect to be attacked by the enemy in whatever form he shows up and whatever weapons he might use might be another person who's close to you and uh, it might be mental or emotional but God is sufficient for that because he is our strength number two notice the nearness and willingness of your strength he is a very present help in trouble very present help he's not somewhere far off he's right there with us he's the life best he's our power He's our strength. He is the one who is right there with us. He knows you're going into a storm before you ever get there. When I preached Rachel Freeman's funeral, there had been people asking, where was God when that truck hit Rachel? Well, here's the thing. She was a believer. He was right there with her. And he held her as she was going through that and took her soul to heaven. And the same thing is true for you. Where was God when I was going through my divorce? He was with you walking with you through all of it. Where was he when I was sick? He was right there with you as you were in that hospital bed and as you were suffering. Where was God? Where was God? He never leaves us or forsakes us. And his power and his willingness to use that power is always, always with us. So he's not one to leave when he's displeased. He doesn't get hacked off and say, I'm taking my ball and going home. He stays with you. And it's not an unwilling, reluctant type of helper. You know, occasionally you hear about somebody who saves a drowning victim. And then you hear them talk and they said, well, I wasn't really sure what to do, but I knew somebody had to do something. Boy, you appreciate that enthusiasm, don't you? And so I jumped in and saved their life. You know, God is not like that. God is enthusiastic about helping you. It's his good pleasure to do so. He's willing to do it. And he is very present in our troubled times. This verse, if you uh, read it in other translations, for example, the Amplified Version says, God is our refuge and strength. And then he adds, mighty and impenetrable to temptation. Back to the text a very present and well-proved help in trouble. See, this is one of the great things about reading the Bible and going back to the Old Testament and reading about the works of God thousands of years ago. What happens? God strengthens you and he shows that when it comes to rescuing his people and helping his people and being there for them, he's a pro because he's done it so many times. Be encouraged by the word of God. The uh, Holman translation says, 
God is our refuge and strength. They all seem to say that. A helper who is always found. He's never MIA. He's never absent. Always found. Thirdly, the result for those who trust. Well, it's very simple. Verse 2, therefore we will not fear. Want to get rid of fear in your life? The way you do it is by trusting God. And trusting this one who is always there, who is the willing and able helper, the strength of your life. But you fear whenever you are thinking, well, this person's in control, or this situation is in control, or this circumstance is insurmountable. I mean, all of those kind of things, and you're afraid, and you don't trust God. Well, the Bible makes it really clear. Therefore, because of this, we will not fear, not stressed or worried, but resting and calm. Okay, number four, <clears throat> the evaluation of that trust. Everybody says they trust God. Everybody says that. Everybody who claims to be a Christian anyway. Well, we're just trusting God to work this out. Well, we're just trusting God in this situation. You know, if you ever ask somebody, what do you mean by that and how do you do it? Uh, 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 it's hard to answer. Because most people don't know. What they mean is we're just holding on. We're crossing our fingers and knocking on wood. Don't do those things, by the way. That's pagan superstition. And they say we are just hanging on, gritting our teeth, and hopefully we'll make it through. We'll endure it. Well, I do believe God gives you the ability to hang on and endure, but most people are not doing that. And that's why they collapse. That's why they give up. That's why they quit. I just couldn't take it anymore. Well, no, of course you couldn't, but your God can. And if you had been trusting in him, you wouldn't have to be afraid and he would carry you through. And notice what the psalmist says, is my trust genuine? Well, he says, even though the earth be removed, he's still going to trust God. Okay. And though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. You know, we think of mountains as being the immovable, permanent things. Well, they're not because they came up out of the earth. I believe it Noah's flood. And um, here the psalmist says, even if you were to take them and cast them into the sea, reminiscent of what Jesus said, I'm still going to trust God. Boy, that would be a cataclysmic event, would it not? And he goes on to say, though its waters roar and be troubled. Hey, you uproot mountains and throw them into the sea. That's what's going to happen. Mountains shake with its swelling. And he said, stop about that and think about that. Habakkuk had a similar thing. There were some things he didn't understand. And then God came and talked to him. Problem solved, right? No, Habakkuk still didn't understand it. And it didn't seem right to him, but he knew that if God said it and did it, that it had to be right. So God didn't adjust to Habakkuk just as he doesn't adjust to us. We must adjust to him. And Habakkuk said almost the same thing that this psalmist said in Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no uh, food, the flock be caught up 
cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength, and he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. He says, wherever you put me when I'm trusting God, I'm like the deer, sure-footed, swift-footed, able to even walk on the highest peaks. That was Habakkuk's deal. And what was he saying? You see, if everything Habakkuk said on there happens, nobody has any food, nobody has any money, and people are going to die. And Habakkuk is saying, even if I don't get it, even if I don't understand it, even if it doesn't sustain my life, I'm still going to pray, praise, and trust, and have faith in God because he's my strength. And he will enable me to overcome these things. And that's the thing. God doesn't always remove us from them, but he gives us strength to endure. Think about what we preached last Sunday morning. He bronzes us up, let's say. And he gives us strength to endure. Well, I thought he wouldn't put you through more than you're able to bear. He never said that. He never said that. You go through things bigger than you are all the time. And he gives you the strength. What he did say is you'll never be tempted above what you're able to bear. But with it, he'll provide a way of escape. And don't stop there. That you may be able to endure it. How do you escape it? You endure it. You run through the fire and come out on the other side. When you come out on the other side, you've escaped the fire, haven't you? And sometimes your best escape is to go through the trial. Don't sit down. Don't pout. Don't lay down. Don't wallow in the trial. Get up and run through it and get out of there. The Bible says you can trust God because he'll give you the power and the strength and even if everybody and everyone around you is failing, falling, coming apart, and doing wrong, it doesn't have to be you, child of God. It doesn't have to be you. Well, I appreciate you taking time to listen to this. We're praying for you and we love you. God bless you. Be sure and go to our website at gracewayokc.org. And under the events tab, you can, uh, there'll be a drop-down uh, menu there, and you can find our newsletter, and you can keep up with what's going on at the church, and you can pray for those things and plan for those things and uh, be aware of all of those things. And there's also a prayer list on there, so pray and minister to other people. And also, uh, starting Sunday, August the 1st, in the evening, we're going to start evening services back up. So we'll look forward to uh, seeing you there as we have another opportunity to fellowship together. So may the Lord bless you and keep you and may uh, his blessings flow through your life in a way that not only builds you up, but touches other people as well. And may God be glorified through you. Thank you for your time.